So Paul's statement, for what I would will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do, that statement that we talked about yesterday is enormously significant for Christians, and uh, we've already talked about it yesterday, but there's more to say. So uh, join me today and let's explore it, shall we? Colin Cook here and how it happens. This is a broadcast on the good news of the gospel, the good news of our God and Father whose heart is towards us and for us because he has reconciled himself to us in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. And that reconciliation means that God is pulling us all now towards his uh, eternal home, towards his heart. And that is what the good news is all about. As you learn it, as you learn the good news, your faith is trained, your faith is from God, and it can only come to you when he gives you this good news. And uh, that training of faith, of course, means an increase of our trust in him. And that's incredibly important because as i as i've mentioned before the first thing to go when we sin is trust we don't trust ourselves we don't trust god's mercy and love towards us if we've sinned against someone else we're afraid that he or she will judge us so we don't trust them etc on it goes but the good news of the gospel trains our trust restores it to some extent and then it grows and we learn how good our Father and His Son are towards us, all expressed through the love of the Holy Spirit. Well, listen to this program every day if you can. It's just 15 minutes, and it's a wonderful boost to your uh, and, uh, faith and hope, and uh, it will train your faith, as I said. So you can listen any time of the day or night on your smart a phone or other remote device, simply download SoundCloud, or uh, these are free apps, SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, and key in how it happens, uh, excuse me, with Colin Cook. You can do the same with Google Podcasts, Google Chrome, uh, Chrome I think it's on Apple as well, and other places. And listen on the radio, if you like, at 10 o'clock in the evening, repeated at 4 in the morning on KLTT AM 670 in the Denver and Colorado and surrounding states areas well then paul is describing life in the kingdom of grace in chapter 5 that's freedom from god's judgment so that we are reconciled to his heart and in chapter 6 it's freedom from the identity and condemnation and judgment of sin that's chapter 6 and chapter 7 is freedom from the judgment of the law and the demands of the law to be righteous by means of the law because Christ now has become our righteousness and um, in the midst of saying all that he said that the law actually excites sin in chapter 7 verse 4 he said that uh, rather verse 5 um, and uh, that Satan takes opportunity of the commandment when we're tempted and rams it down our throat, as it were, and says, now look what you've done, and look how bad you are. Don't you see what the law says you ought to be? And you're not that, so you're condemned. And he wants to condemn us as if he cared about the law. Of course, he doesn't at all. Um, but he uses it to condemn. That's uh, verse 11, verse uh, 13 and uh, no, verses 8, 11, and 13. 
And then Paul says, well, why, or implies, why does this have to be so that the law, uh, when coming in contact with uh, human beings, uh, excites uh, sin and reveals it? And now he explains it, and he's using himself, or using the, the pronoun, uh, the first pronoun, I, um, as a gen in generic form to express the whole of humanity. And this is what he says, for what? I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, and what I hate, that I do. And as I said yesterday, this is not Paul before his conversion. Some people think that because they can't imagine that Paul would speak of himself in this way as a Christian. Christians do exactly what they uh, desire to do for God. And uh, they, there is a complete um, seamless line between uh, desire, or I should say there is a complete seamlessness between uh, desire and action. Well, Paul is far more realistic than that. And he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. And I mentioned yesterday that this clearly, uh, very, very graphically reveals conflict in the human in the Christian life. Conflict in the Christian life. And I said that if you do not have that conflict, you are probably not a Christian. Because, you see, the non-Christian has no conflict. There is a perfect seamlessness between his desire and his action, his lust and his enacting of that lust. But for a Christian, there is a setting up of a, uh, a sort of um, island of resistance in his humanity. How do you think about that? You say, well, that's not much fun being a Christian then. Well, who said it was supposed to be fun, although there is joy in the Christian life? But the truth is that Christians, that God has set up in the Christian an island of resistance uh, to his human nature. Paul said it in another way in uh, the book of uh, uh, Galatians, and he said this, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, Martin Luther, years ago, now I cannot quote anything of what, uh, well, I cannot quote verbatim what he said about this, but I will express it roughly, by all means it's roughly. Martin Luther said, if I had known this verse and understood it, Galatians 5.17, before, while I was a monk, he said, I wouldn't have got so utterly bent out of shape and distressed over my sins. That's not to say that we take our sins casually, but it is to say that we don't get so um, um, balled into a knot over them that we can't function anymore. You see, it is a normal state of the Christian life for the flesh to lust against the spirit and the spirit to lust against the flesh. Now, I'll tell you this truth, and let me put it again in uh, the terms that Paul uses in Romans 7, uh, 15, for what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If we had, if Christians 
had had this properly preached to them and taught, there would be far less anxiety in Christian communities, far less addiction, far less what I call religious neurosis. Again, I'm not talking about indifference towards sin. I'm talking about a leveled, measured response to our failures and defeats and our addictions so that we say, okay, this is me, this is how I am, this is what my humanity is, but I do not count it as mine. I count myself as resurrected in Christ's resurrection, and what I did and fa- and uh, what I did was a failure, but I am not going to throw myself off the cliff as a result of it. I am going to turn to God again, repent coolly, calmly, and uh, uh, move on, move on, move forward. That I believe uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about that as um, uh, dealing with our failures and defeats in a business-like manner. I've forgotten the terminology exactly, but something like that, you see. What makes people not accept this kind of teaching is pure denial. You see, we have been taught that we have been born again, that all things have become new. Well, indeed, we have been born again. But in what sense have all things become new? Have all things become new in our sinful nature, in our human nature, so that the things that we desired we don't desire anymore, and the things that we used to do we don't do anymore, and um, uh, everything is now hunky-dory, and we're sailing on uh, through smooth seas, and we'll arrive at shore quite soon and very peacefully, thank you very much. No storms, no winds, no uh, um, off-course directions, and what have you. It is poppycock. It is balderdash, and it is rubbish. The truth is that Paul, uh, as Peter describes it, I think it's First Peter 1, I didn't look this up before the broadcast, um, he says, we have been born again to a living hope. Do you see what the new birth there is then? The new birth is that God has moved in upon this human nature and, as I said, set up an island of resistance in it, which is our faith in the resurrected Christ, who is now our new humanity, counted as our new humanity. So we have been born again to a living hope. Being born again doesn't mean that all desires have suddenly gone. I remember a sermon uh, by a very famous preacher uh, about 20 years ago, and he described the new birth. Well, I'm telling you this, that anybody who listened to that sermon, which was about 40 minutes in length, would have walked out of that church utterly discouraged, because his description of the new birth was so absolute, was so total, was so pristine, was so sanctified that every person in that congregation would have said, oh, good grief, that's not me, and walked away wondering whether he or she was ever converted in the first place. The new birth is a new spirit of faith in us that sets up, if I... 
I'm repeating myself. I have no apology whatsoever for it because you need to hear it several times. The new birth is a state of opposition set up by God in your human nature that whacks the human nature down uh, as best it can. It doesn't always succeed. Maybe doesn't mostly succeed for quite a while um, and puts it in its place. Let's be realistic. This utter spiritualizing of, of so many things in, well, I, I call it re, uh, religiosity, um, makes the Christian life so unreal that people go around faking it most of the time and uh, walking about in church with a nice suit and tie, although these days you don't even go in a suit and tie, do you? You go in your jeans and your flip-flops and uh, and on we go as if everything were just fine. Look, take coolly your conflict. It is not abnormal. Thank God that he has set up an island of resistance. And do you remember, by the way, in Genesis, that's exactly what God says when Adam and Eve sins, uh, uh, Adam and Eve sin, what does God say? I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is between Satan the serpent and the woman the church. He will put enmity? Of course, that is the spirit fighting against the flesh. If there were no enmity, you'd be dead. But thanks be to God, you're alive in Jesus Christ, right? Well, listen, if you would like to help the program keep going, thank you very much. This program costs $39 per 15 minutes, about $850 to $900 a month. This is a small ministry, but long-lasting, 43 or 4 years. The, bro the broadcast is in its 24th year. If you'd like to make a donation, please send it to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. That's FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366. Littleton, Colorado, 80160, or you can make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquestradio.com. Thanks so much for all your support. I do appreciate it, and I'll see you next time. Cheerio, and God bless.